I'm not sure in what condition you have come to church today. Perhaps your weekend was hard, your week was hard, perhaps you did some foolish things, or who knows, maybe uh, on the way to church this morning, if you're married, you got into a good old fight with your spouse. They tend to happen on Sunday morning. It's very strategic. So I don't know what condition you've come here this morning. Perhaps you are just there and you have no intention of wanting to obey the Word of God, which is a dangerous place to be. Can you imagine just sitting there right now and hearing the Word of God and thinking to yourself, I'm not going to do what it says. That is not a good place to be in. So if you have one or two choices the way I see it. Now, now if, you're not, if you're not a believer, if you're still exploring the Christian faith, I'm not speaking to you. But for those of you who profess to be a believer, if you're here this morning and you have no intention of actually doing what we see in the Bible, you have two options the way I see it. I'm about to pray, and while I'm praying, you can slip out. Like, if you have no intent to obey, while I'm praying, you can just excuse yourself, and we'll have our eyes closed. We won't look around. Maybe we'll peek a little bit, but we won't look, okay? Another option is, while I'm praying, ask God to change your heart to where you actually want to obey the Word of God. Because we really don't want to study the Bible and read it and, and almost it's heap up some judgment upon us because we have no intention of obeying it. So hope we're clear. I'm going to pray, and let's just ask God to change your heart if you have no intention to want to obey. So let's pray right now. Father, we just ask that you would change our hearts, open our eyes, open our ears, and give us the ability, the desire, the affections for you, the, that know that you love us so much. You want the best for us in Christ. And help us to not only hear the word today, but to do it by your grace, by your power, not our own power. But you are commanding us. You are commanding us to walk in holiness, to invest in others. And we know that you've invested in us through your love and your grace and the cross of Christ. And may that spill out of us today. So, Lord, take us numb people here this morning and bring us to life to obey your word for our joy and your glory. In Christ's name, amen. I want to begin this morning by telling you a story about an invested sojourner, which is very appropriate since we're talking about being invested sojourners. It's a story I heard recently from Christopher McDougall. He's a running expert and he is the author of Born to Run. He tells the story of the 2009 Women's New York Marathon. For those of you who are marathon runners, listen up here. The favorite that year, perhaps you remember this, was Paula Radcliffe. Now, Paula Radcliffe was the reigning gold medalist in the marathon, and she's one of the fastest mar- women marathoners ever. She was the favorite to win. Also in the race was a massive underdog, and it was uh, a woman from Ethiopia. Her name was Dorartha Tulu. Now, Dorartha Tulu had won a marathon, but she hadn't won a marathon in like eight years. She's 37 years old, and a few months before the New York Marathon, in giving birth, she almost died. So you can tell, okay, I almost died a few months ago. Now I'm running the marathon. So she's a massive underdog. But Radcliffe is the favorite to win. So the race starts off. And after 22, 23 miles, Gerard Tatulu is still in it. I don't know how, 37-year-old, she's cranking it. She's still in it. And about that point, Paula Radcliffe grabs her leg, pulls up, falls back. And when this happened, Gerard Tatulu falls back with her and says, hey, come on, you can do this. Let's go. Come on. So then Radcliffe comes back up to the pack. And so they're running along, maybe mile 23. They're, they're still cranking out. And a few, a few minutes later, what happens next? Paula Radcliffe pulls up again, falls back. 
Gerard Tatula falls back with her and says, tries to grab her and says, come on, let's go, get up here. And Paula Radcliffe's like, no, you just go ahead. And, and you, you know how these, these nice, moral, feel-good stories go, right? So Gerard Tatula, she kind of falls back. She encourages Radcliffe, who's the favorite to win? And we all go home with a nice little feel-good story of how Gerard Tatula didn't get to cash in, but she's this hero because she got to serve other people. And, and it's written in papers that, that she didn't win, but she was a great, great servant. But that's not what happened. That's not the feel-good story. The feel-good story is that Gerard Tatula went back up to the pack and then she surpassed the pack, and at 37 years old, she won the New York City Marathon. No joke. She invested, and she still won. The reason why I tell you that story is because every single person in here, you want to win. I mean, if you're a student, come on. You want to crank the grades, you want to finish the projects, and you want to launch successfully into your career. You want to win. And if you already got a job, you want to do it with excellence. You want to be pat on the back for doing a good job, and you want to move up a little bit. And even in your relationships, you want to win. If, if, if you're married, you want to be this perfect romantic spouse. And if you're a parent, you want to be known as a successful parent. If you're a friend, you want to be known as a faithful friend. But here's the deal. As we journey and we sojourn through life, we have this mistaken idea. We think to ourselves, I can't invest and still win. That if I invest in other people, then I'm going to lose. And I'm here to tell you, let's turn that upside down. Let's challenge that assumption today that you cannot invest and still win. Let's talk about that today. What I want to end up telling you is this. You can invest and still win. In fact, the investing is the winning. I mean, what is winning anyway? In whose eyes do you want to win? In yours, your friends, people know you? Or do you want to win in God's eyes? And in God's eyes, he says, if you invest in other people you will win. There was once this man. He came up to Jesus. And he asked Jesus a question. He basically asked Jesus, Jesus, how can I win? And this man wanted to win. That's the biggest thing possible. He wanted to win eternal life. And Jesus says, okay, you want eternal life? Invest in other people. And that's the story we have today. One of the most famous stories worldwide is the story of the Good Samaritan. Let's go ahead and turn in our Bibles to Luke chapter 10 as we look at the story of the Good Samaritan. In our church, we have a history of going through books of the Bible. We finished up Matthew this past spring, did 2 Peter this summer. We're a little transitioning here. We're waiting for the students to come back, and then we're going to launch into the book of Proverbs. Right now, we're going to look at the Good Samaritan and talk about our ethos of being an invested sojourner. Now, I don't even need to tell you the story because many of you even know the story, and you may think, oh, Pastor Jason, are you going to like give a new twist on the story? No. I have no twist. All right? 
I'm not going to show you something you've never seen before. I'm not going to be fancy. I'm just going to tell you the story. But what I'm hoping is that God is going to reach in and grab you and grab your heart in a new way and give you some life where you see this and you, you have life and you want to obey. So here is what's going on here. Let's just look straight at the text and jump on in with verse 25 of Luke chapter 10. Look at verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Right, let's stop there. This is not a lawyer like some of you are lawyers. This is not, this is not like you, okay? This is, this is a Jewish uh, expert in the law contained in the Old Testament. Like, this guy knows the law so well in the Old Testament, he's probably memorized the law. Like, for some of you, you have memorized the Ten Commandments. Good job. I commend you. But this guy probably memorized all the commandments, all 613 of them. And he knew how they applied to the specific situations in Jewish life. And so he was an expert in the law. And he wants to challenge Jesus because he's a man who knows the law. And he says, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, if you're here this morning and you've never asked that question, that's a great question to ask. Excuse me, Jesus. How can I get to heaven? It's a great question to ask. If you're asking that question or not, you should be. It's a great. How do you get to heaven? So let's look at Jesus' response. Look what Jesus says to him. Jesus does not say, just believe in me. He doesn't say that. He's going to get at the guy's heart. Look at verse 26. He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Jesus is like, you're the law, man. You tell me. How do you get in? The man says in verse 27, and he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. That's his answer. He combines two Old Testament passages. He combines Deuteronomy 6.5 with Leviticus 19.18. Deuteronomy 6.5 says this. Let me put it up for you. It says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. It's part of the, the Jewish Shema, that was, which means to hear, which is repeated twice daily by Jews. And so he also quoted Leviticus 19.18. Let me put that up for you as well. You should not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So what this man did, he took connected with loving the Lord and loving people. He combined those together, and that was his answer to inherit eternal life. Now notice what Jesus says to him. Verse 28, and he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. What do you think about that answer? You like that? Would you have said that? I mean, maybe Jesus is saying, look, if you have faith, it will express itself in loving your neighbor. So you're part of the covenant. You, you love You've been changed, and so you love. That's just part of it, inheriting eternal life. It's faith expressing itself through love. He, he could have been getting at that angle, but I, perhaps not. Maybe Jesus is saying this. Oh, man, you nailed it. Yeah, love God and love others. And if you do that, then you're going to get in. But good luck with that. Let me know how that goes for you. Let me know how it goes with you loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and your neighbor and yourself. Sure, just let me know how that goes. But then if you do good enough, you'll get into heaven. But that's, I think what he's getting at, he's getting at the guy's heart because you cannot love God perfectly. 
And you cannot love your neighbor as yourself perfectly. And after a while, if these are your ways of trying to get into heaven, you'll see that you fall way short. Jesus knew the man's heart. And get this. You know he knows his heart because the man's not done challenging Jesus. I mean, if I was his lawyer, I would just hush up. Just be quiet. But no, he wants to justify himself. Look at the next verse. This is great. Verse 29. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Like, what kind of question is that? Come on. Why are you asking that? Well, here's the deal. He wants to be affirmed that he is a righteous man who has been loving the right people. And in his mind, the right people are who? The God-fearing Jew. Not the foolish Jew, and certainly not the Gentile, but he wants to be affirmed that he has been loving the right people, patted on the back by Jesus, where Jesus says, good job, you're in. You see, what this man wants to do, I want to make sure you're listening to me right now, what this man wants to do, he wants to be a neighbor selector. He wants to be a neighbor selector. He wants to determine the neighbors he is supposed to love. And he wants Jesus to affirm him that he has been a very good neighbor selector. Maybe you're a neighbor selector. Maybe you want to determine who to love and and who not to love and who deserves it and who does not deserve it. But you know what Jesus is going to do? Jesus is going to blow up his question and rock his world. He's going to blow up his neighbor selecting question and he is going to absolutely rock his his world. Verse 30. Here's the parable. Here's the famous story. Jesus replied, a man was going down to Jerusalem from Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. So Jericho is about 18 miles northeast of Jerusalem, but it says the traveler was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And you're like, well, how's he going down? Well, he's going down at about 3,000 feet along this dangerous road, and there are a variety of places for thieves to hide in the crevices there and jump out and take people's stuff. And guess what? That's what happened. This man, got, he gets jumped, and he gets his, his stuff taken. He's left for half dead. So here's the man on the side of the road, not looking so good, and he is about to die. And what, what you should see is like, look, here is an opportunity for love. Here is an opportunity for mercy. That's the way the story is set up. And as the opportunity for love and mercy is in this story, there are opportunities for love and mercy all around us. So try to follow along with the story. But hey, lucky for this beat-up, half-dead man, lucky for this man, a preacher comes along. And if you know anything about preachers, we are some very compassionate people. We're really compassionate, yeah. So verse 31. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, (laughs) well, maybe not, he passed by on the other side. I don't think you're astounded by this enough. This is a guy, a priest. He preaches the Word of God. He teaches the Word of God. 
He memorizes the Word of God. He knows the Word of God. He leads people in worship at the temple. He does a variety of sacrifices. He does a variety of prayers. And you would think this man, of all people, is going to be the guy who acts, and yet he doesn't. And there's one translation. It's a very loose translation. I love this translation. It says this. As he approached the man, he angled to the other side. Isn't that a great translation? It's like, it's like you and me. We see a homeless person on the street. We're walking and we angle to the other side away from them. The man had an opportunity to invest and he didn't. He was a sojourner who angled away, who just went on to the other side. Well, He blew it, all right? Maybe it's just one isolated incident. But the next person that comes up is also a religious person. And this religious person is the one who helps the priest. And surely this guy will not blow it. He's a Levite. Let's see what the Levite does. Verse 32. So likewise, a a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Maybe the Levi even came a little bit closer to check it out, and maybe he got so close and said, look, that looks like a half-dead man, and yet he passes by as well. So the question I want to ask you is, and I think it's a question to ask, is why did these men not act? I don't know the answer. But I feel like I have a responsibility to try to justify these spiritual leaders. I want to get these guys off the hook because I want to get myself off the hook. I want to think of a good reason why they didn't act because I want to think of good reasons why I don't act, okay? So can you bear with me? I'm going to at least give one reason perhaps why these guys did not act so I can get them off the hook and let's see if it works or not, okay? So let's just try to get these guys off the hook. I'm going to get myself off the hook and I'll try to get you off the hook too. Let's see if it works. All right, so let's just say that these guys did not act because they were more occupied with their calling from God. God called them, and they had responsibilities to do their duties, and this man apparently did not fit into their calling, and so they they passed by on the other side. And so if they would have stopped to help this dude, then it would interrupt their calling. Are, Are you buying that one? Are you using that one? God clearly expected them to invest no matter what, right? Yeah, he did. So I'm going to tell you this. My brothers and sisters, I love you. I'm trying to be nice to you. Do not distort your calling. Do not think that you're so super special and your call in life, whatever it is, whether it's to your family or to your job or whatever, and you think that your calling exempts you from serving others. Because if you think that your calling exempts you from serving others, then you're trying to win at something totally else. It it leaves God out of the picture. The truth is, these guys' hearts were off. Whatever the reason, their hearts were off. And we need to examine ours as well and see what we're doing, what's going on inside. All right. 
Now, let's just stop the story and let's do something a little fun here, okay? I want to tell you, the lawyer is listening to this story, and so far, the story is not out of the norm. I don't know if you've ever studied uh, other uh, parts of Jewish literature during this time. I know some of you have, so maybe you know this. But some of the literature during this time, there were stories floating around just like this that would include a priest. The story would include a Levite. And you know what it would lead to next? Then the story would include a Jewish common layperson. So this is, this is totally cool for the lawyer so far. He's tracking with every part of the story. Okay, the priest blew it. In his mind, he sees that. The Levite blew it. But surely the hero of the story is going to be the common Jewish layperson. He will not blow it. Jesus is about to rock this guy's world. Get back into the text. Check it out. Verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. Oh, wow. Where does, that, where does this fit in the lawyer's mind? I mean, Samaritans, according to the Jews, were half-breeds. They're like, where do we get this concept of Samaritans anyway? Well, the his, during the history of Israel, there were some rebellious Israelites, some Jews, who married pagans, and they turned into this half-breeds, according to the Jews, called Samaritans. And so the Jews despised the Samaritans for their lifestyle and, at times, their theology. And so here we have a Samaritan, an outcast, one's hated by the Jew, is the one showing compassion, moved with the heart of compassion because he did something. And, and you know what? I'm sure the lawyer, he cannot even relate to this story because in his mind, there's no such thing as the good Samaritan. Those words just roll off your lips when you talk about someone doing a good deed, the good Samaritan. But to this Jewish guy, he would never say the good Samaritan because Samaritans aren't good. So it's just messing with his mind. Jesus continues with the story. Verse 34, the Samaritan, he went down to him and bound up his wounds and pouring oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will pay you when I come back. So this is Samaritan. He's going so overboard. I mean, he's not like just calling 911, come pick this dude up. He's not doing that at all. He's like giving up his money. He's taking risks. He's giving up his time. But what I want you to notice is that he takes this guy to the inn, pays the money, gets him cared for, and then he continues on his journey. He continues on his sojourn. And then he comes back and checks on the guy. But he's, his intent is, I'm going to continue on my sojourn, but at the same time, I'm going to invest. And so he doesn't exclude his sojourn, and he doesn't exclude investing. He does both. He does both. Okay, here's the deal. What is a lawyer supposed to do with this story? He was hoping for a story on how to be a better neighbor selector. Jesus, who is my neighbor? He was looking for Jesus to give that answer. Help me to be a better neighbor selector. And he got something totally else. So if you're reading this story and you're the lawyer, who are you supposed to identify with? Like, 
Where are you supposed to see yourself in this story? Are you supposed to say, okay, I'm this lawyer. Okay, I don't want to see myself as the priest. Nah, I don't want to see myself as a Levite. No way. And I certainly don't want to see myself as the Samaritan. So if you're the lawyer reading this story, what's left? Well, I guess I could be the beat-up guy on the side of the road. I guess I could be that guy in need of mercy. And if I was there, I would want someone, I don't care who they were, to come by and help me. Jesus blows up his world, changes the question, gives a different answer. And now look what Jesus says. Look what he says in verse 36. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? I love it. Jesus... He's not even answering the guy's question. The guy said, who's my neighbor? And Jesus like, who was the neighbor? <laughs> you, you see what he's doing? He's like, I'm not going to tell you how to select neighbors. I'm going to tell you how to be the neighbor. Who was the neighbor? Look at the man's answer. The one who showed him mercy. The lawyer doesn't even say the word Samaritan. can't even say it. He's like, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus says to him, you go and do likewise. Jesus says, you don't concern yourself with selecting neighbors. You go and be the neighbor. And what Jesus does through this story is he exposes the man's heart. The man has a bad heart. He's trying to select who to love who not to love, it's off. If he wants to inherit eternal life, it's not about him trying to love God with all his heart, soul, mind, strength, and love his neighbor. He needs to realize he is off. And he needs to repent and turn to Jesus, the Messiah who's right in front of him. And if you find yourself here this morning and you see that you're off, that you've played the little neighbor selector game, and you know things are not right, with you, you know, I think a good idea is just to flat out acknowledge that you're just like the priest. You're like the Levite. You angle away from opportunities to serve. You, you may justify it. You may explain things away. But your life is one big angling away from needs, from those who need mercy. And you know what the greatest thing is? Is that we can come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I am the priest. I am the Levite. Please forgive me. Change my heart. And we can look to the cross. We can look to the forgiveness in Jesus, the one who rescued us on the side of the road, all beat up in our sin, and he brought us to life. We can celebrate, and we can keep going to him for forgiveness and grace so that can spill out of us that mercy onto other people. But I'm not content to leave you was just some broad idea. I want to be very specific with you and give you a few closing thoughts that I think are pretty significant in helping you invest. And there's three things. There's nothing significant about three. I'm just going to put them up one by one. The first one is this. You can invest and still win. It, not, it might not be the winning that you have in mind, it may be some type of winning that's totally different that comes from God. Let me put it to you in my life like this. 
When I was in college, I was, before I started my junior year, I felt a call from God to be a preacher. We can talk about that calling some other time. But I felt for sure called to God to be a preacher, and I felt that meant I had to go to seminary. So I felt God led me to seminary at Dallas Seminary. Now, while I was there, I was cranking out studies, and I was doing the college ministry. That was, that was my, my life. But while I was doing those two things, I had a, a small, wasn't small, I had a large interruption. While I was living in Dallas, I've told this story to some of you before. While I was living in Dallas, my grandmother fell on hard times, and there was no other relatives around to care for her. And God's like, you care for her. And I'm like, I'm 22, 23 years old. I'm a male. I know nothing about caring elderly women. I know nothing about taking women to the bathroom. I know nothing about bathing. I know none of these things about giving pills. I know nothing about medically. I am a 22, 23-year-old punk still at that time, just getting saved, trying to figure out life. Not just to care for her. And you know what I'm thinking to myself? I'm saying, woman, <laughs> you are in my way of winning. I can't win with you here. And so I was kind of stuck. Because I felt like God called me for sure. Here's my calling. Be a pastor. Go to seminary. And yet I had to deal with this. So my, I, had a, I guess I had some options. And one of the options was just drop out of seminary. And I want to tell you this. Sometimes in life, you will need to, you will need to put a halt on your dreams and vision. It's okay. Sometimes you will need to pull away from your dreams and your visions, and you, you just stop because God has other dreams and visions for you at that time. But that's, that wasn't God's plan for me. God's like, no, 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 no. I'm going to teach you real seminary. <laughs> I'm going to give you some real seminary right here. And so for me, it meant study, do the college ministry, and spend a significant amount of your mind, time taking care of your grandmother and have no free time. And I know we're Americans, and I know how we love free time, and we want me time and all the other focus on me. He's like, no, there'll be none of that. This is what you're going to do during this season. Because i got some real seminary involved for you. So in God's mind, he wanted me to invest and win through that investing. So I would say, if you're called to something, don't think that when opportunity comes to serve that you need to just quit altogether. There may be where you have an opportunity to do both, but it may chip away at some of the other areas of your life, some of the me-focused time, so that you can continue to pursue God's calling and continue to invest and fulfill his will. Second thing I want to share with you is this. God is the literal neighbor selector. The Samaritan simply cared for the person in his path, right? He didn't like saying, okay, who am I going to select? Okay, I'm going to pass up that half-dead guy. I'm going to pass up that half-dead guy. No, he's, this isn't my path. I'm going to deal with this. Too many times I really think that we want to choose who we want to love. But God selects who lives by you. God selects who is going to be in your classes. God selects who you work with. God selects who works at your grocery stores right? These are the people that God has put in your path. I'm like, man, if I got to pick who I want my path, I just want to talk to families with kids who are around my same age, and that's my neighbor's selection. But God puts me in a neighborhood where there's hardly anybody my age, 
people are way older. Some don't have any kids at all. And it's just, God selected my neighbors. And I know we like to talk about being all missional. And we think we're missional means we've got to select cool people like us. We're going to invest in. No, your neighbors who God has selected to be around you. I mean, you might not have picked them. So the question is this. Who's in your path? Who's in your path in need that you need to care for, that you need to invest in? It could be someone in this church who needs to be discipled, someone who doesn't know Christ, someone who has some physical needs. Who, who's in your path? This is the way I view it for my life personally. I view, I view it like these three different spheres. I view it one, I ask the question, who's in my path? And when I'm asking that question, I'm like, okay, who do I, who do I run with? Who's in my path? And I got my family, I got my church, I got my literal neighbors, and I got people, the parents at the school. I say, okay, these are the people in my path. Who can I invest in in my path that's in, in need? So that's the way I think of one sphere of my life. Another sphere of my life I like to think of is, okay, who is in need in this broader realm of community called the city of Chicago? Because if we're not careful, we can say, well, I live in this neighborhood. I'm just going to invest in these kind of people, which is fine. But there are some greater needs going on as well. But if we're just focusing on the path, which is fine, we're going to miss some of these needs. And so I would say, I broaden out to say, okay, in the city of Chicago, the city of Evans, the city of people I won't normally see, where are there needs that I can meet in this realm? For some of you, you're already doing this. Maybe it's like refugees, uh, seniors, homeless, prison ministry, tutoring. These are, these are not necessarily going to be people you're going to see in your path. So I think about the path sphere. I think about broadening it out to the people in my city. And the last sphere I want you to think about is I think about the global sphere. Okay, where are the needs globally? For example, uh, this past week, my family, during family worship, we were focusing on Cambodia, of all places. And as we were focusing on Cambodia, we were, we were seeing a video of people in Cambodia with AIDS who go to a certain hospital, which is basically not a hospital, just, a, just rooms where they go to die. They're not getting medicine to get better. They're there. People really aren't caring for them, and they just go to die. And, and here's what we can do when we see stuff like that. We're like, okay, that's interesting. Let's just turn that off. Let's change the channel, please. Let's move on. I understand we can't fix all the problems in the world, but we have to at least stop and say, okay, what is my role in loving my neighbor globally? So I went back to my wife later on and I said, honey, what is our role in loving our neighbor globally in thinking about Cambodia and those with AIDS? And so we talked a little bit about that. And I want you to expand your realm of loving your neighbor as well globally. Where are there needs that you can meet, can't meet them all? Where's your calling where you can invest in your neighbor globally? And the last thing I want to share with you is the obvious. Sojourning will come to an end. And opportunities to invest will also come to an end. It's going to end. You are only going to be here in Evanston for a certain amount of time. Most of you are going to move on, right? Most of you are moving on. Last year, we had our 25th anniversary. For those of you here, it was an awesome time where people came back to our church who were here, just like you were, for a season of life, and then moved away. And while they were here, they talked about all their memories of investing while they were here. But now they're gone. And as I was leaving, I was talking to the, the pastor who was here for the longest, Pastor Martin, and I was thanking him for coming. And he, he looked at me and he said, you're the man now. 
what he means by that. Now, it's, it's, it's my turn to invest in you, invest in this community. And, but I, I would say, you know, that's not just for me. That's for you. you. You're the man now. You're the woman now. You're here for a season. I don't care if it's for six months, six years. You're here for a season. And this time will eventually end. But wouldn't it be terrible to look back on your time when you were in Evanston and think, you know what, I was pretty self-focused during that time, or to reflect back on your time without regrets and say, you know what, God used me to impact people for the gospel. Now's your time to invest while you're here. And the same holds for all of us. We're all believers, and one day our journey and soldier on this earth will come to an end. But while we're here, we invest. Because on this race... We want to win. And according to God, winning is bringing him glory by investing in others. So may we as a church be true, invested sojourners. Let's pray. We are those who were on the path and we were beaten up and you rescued us with your mercy. And, Lord, we are all guilty of angling away from opportunities as the priest and the Levite. And so we come to you for a change of heart. We come to you for forgiveness. We come to you for grace. We come to you as the one who has rescued us. And we're just asking you to use us. We want to be your hands and your feet of mercy and grace to those in our path. And so right now, Lord, bring people to our mind that are in our path that are in need. We need the gospel. We need someone to listen to them who need counseling, who need us to be there, who need us to pray for them, who need us to help them physically, who need us to help them financially. Show us, Lord, who is in our path that we can invest in as we sojourn on this life. Who is that, Lord? Show us, each one of us. And, Lord, we want to glorify you by doing these actions of investing, not for ourselves, but for your praise and your glory. And I just ask you to use us as your hands and feet here, individually and corporately for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.